This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Now it's time for Bible reading. So for everyone at home, uh, please uh, feel free to uh, look at the screens uh, that's on display, uh, as well as your mobile phones or your Bibles. And everyone here, uh, let's give you some time. Today's Bible reading will be on Zechariah 7, 1 to 8, verse 23. Uh, the NIV version will be on display on screen. Chapter 7, Zechariah 7, verse 1. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, the month of Caliph. The people of Bethel had sent Shariza and Ragi Malak together with their men to entreat the Lord by asking the priests of the house of the Lord Almighty and prophets, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done so for many years? Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me, Ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? Are these not the words of the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous and the Negev and the western hills were settled? And the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. But they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and covered their ears. They made their heart as hard as flint and would not listen to the word or to the Lord, or to the word of the Lord Almighty, had sent by his Spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. When I called, they did not listen. When they called, I will not listen, says the Lord Almighty. I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations where they were strangers. The land they left behind was so desolate that no one traveled through it. This is how they made the pleasant land desolate. Chapter 8. The word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous. I am burning with jealousy for her. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the high holy mountain. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem each of them with cane in hand because of their age. The city, the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may, not, it may seem marvelous to the remnant of this people at that time, but, it will, but will it seem marvelous to me, declares the Lord Almighty? This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Now, hear these words. Let your hands be strong, so that the temple may be built. This is what the prophets said, who were present when the foundations was laid 
for the Lord, the house of the Lord Almighty. Before that time, there was no wages for people or hire for animals. No one could go about their business safely because of the enemies, since I have turned everyone against their neighbor. But now I will not deal with the but now I will not deal with the remnant of this people, as I did in the past, declares the Lord Almighty. The seed will grow well, the vine will yield its fruit, the ground will produce its crops, and the heavens will drop their dew. I will give all these things as an inheritance to the remnant of the people. Just as Judah and Israel have been a curse among the nations, so I will save you, and you will be a blessing. Do not be afraid, but let your hand be strong. This is what the Lord Almighty says, just as I have determined to bring disaster on you and show no pity when your ancestors angered me, says the Lord Almighty. So now I have determined to do good again to Judah, Jerusalem and Judah. Do not be afraid. These are the things you are to do. Speak truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against each other. Do not, swear, do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fast of the fourth, fifth, seventh, tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy feasts for Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Many people and the inhabitants of many cities will come, will yet come, and the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, Let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going, and many people and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and entreat him. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, Let us go with you, because we have heard that God is with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. We'll now invite Pastor Andrew. Better? Okay, great. It's wonderful to have you all here today, as well as those of you who are listening to this on Zoom. Very warm welcome to you, and we really hope that you'll be able to learn lots from God's word today. Uh, in order for us to do so, we really need to ask God to help us as we turn to his word. So let's bow our heads. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to ask for your spirit to be working powerfully in our hearts, that as we listen to your word, we not just understand it, but truly in our hearts and our will and our expectations, we will truly be changed and transformed so that we will grow deeper in our love for you, deeper in our relationship with you. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, um, today I want to uh, share with you uh, about relationships. Now, when you think about it, uh, what exactly is the sort of relationship that God wants to have with his people? Okay, what is the relationship that God wants to have with his people? I remember a relative of mine, uh, never, never read the Bible, and uh, I used to encourage uh, this relative uh, to become a Christian, and this person would say to me, but I'm already a Christian. And I said, well, how do you know that uh, you have a right relationship with God? He said, oh, because I still get the newsletters from my church, and that shows that I'm a member of the church, and therefore, I'm a Christian. Another person that I know, 
also never went to church, didn't seem to read the Bible, didn't really seem to be Christian in any way. And when I asked this person, you know, whether they wanted to become a Christian, they said, oh, actually, I was already baptized when I was a child. And, uh, you know, I said the sinner's prayer when the campus crusade came to university. So I'm a Christian. I have another relative uh, who, strangely, uh, when I was talking to this person, makes it a point to go to church every Sunday. The interesting thing is, it doesn't matter what church that she goes to, and it doesn't matter what language the service is in. But as long as she goes to church on Sunday, then she feels that she is all right. Now, um, what's happening here? Okay. okay, so today we're going to be looking at this thing about the relationship with God. Because as I speak to these three people, it seems to be really, really important to them that, uh, that they get the church newsletter, that they've been uh, baptized, that they sit the sinner's prayer, that they go to church every Sunday. But is that what is really important to God in terms of having a relationship with God? So today, in the context of what we're looking at, as we've been looking through the book of Zechariah, it began in chapter 1 with the command of God, right? Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. So God is calling his people to come back to him. And today, as we look at chapter 7 and 8, the question that we're really looking at in these chapters is, what does this return mean? What does this return to God look like? And that is what is being asked in chapter 7 and chapter 8. What does it mean to return to God? So as we look at this first verse, as a, the first few verses of chapter 7, it begins with a question. Okay? And so this question is, in the fourth year of King Darius, oh, I need to turn off the annotation now. Someone's doing this funny things. All right. Okay. Cannot do annotations anymore. All right. Okay. So let me begin again. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah in the fourth day of the ninth month, the month of Kislev. The people of Bethel had sent Sereza and Rejah Melech together with their men to entreat the Lord by asking the priests of the house of the Lord Almighty and the prophets, shall I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I've done for so many years? Now, we really need to understand the historical context. Because, you know, if you don't understand the historical context, you don't have a clue what is happening here. And so what is happening here? Okay, so as we look at this passage, we see that 586 BC, right? Remember, we began in uh, the book of Zechariah as well. What happened to the slide? Disappeared. In 586 BC, Judah had fallen to Babylon, right? So that's a really important date, okay? And when they had fallen to Babylon, the people had been exiled out of Jerusalem from God's place. 586 BC, also the time where the temple had been sacked and destroyed. And now we find ourselves approximately 70 years later. Okay, so 520 BC is when this, uh, 522 BC is when uh, this uh, account is being written in chapter 7 and 8. And so what have they been doing for the 70 years since 586 BC? They had been fasting. Okay, so they've been fasting every fifth month of the year. But as we read later on as well, they've been fasting on the fourth month. They've been fasting on the seventh month. 
They've been fasting on the 10th month. Now, why were they fasting all these different times of the year? The reason was because they were mourning and commemorating, in a way, all the tragic events which happened in 586 BC. Okay? So the city walls had been destroyed on the fourth month, so they fasted. The temple had been destroyed on the fifth month, so they fasted. The governor, Gedaliah, had been murdered on the seventh month, so they fasted. The siege of Jerusalem had began on the tenth month, and so they fasted. But now as we look at chapter 7, we are now uh, back to building the temple. The temple has been started rebuilding in 520 BC, and now in the 522nd uh, BC, temple building is halfway completed. And so the people now come to God and they ask him, should we keep fasting, right? Should we keep fasting? Because if the temple is being rebuilt, then why should we keep fasting, right? It doesn't make sense anymore. The temple is now here. And so God now answers them. God says to them, uh, okay, so ask all the people of the land and the priests when they fasted and mourned in the fifth and the seventh month for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? Are these not the words the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous, and then the Gev and the western foothills were settled. So they come to God with a very simple question, should we keep fasting? And God expands on that question and asks them the motivation, why are you fasting? And God says to them, actually, you're not fasting for me, right? You are fasting for yourself, okay? not because of God and worship of God, but because of themselves. Now, first of all, God never told them to fast on the 4th, the 5th, the 7th, and the 10th month. Okay, the law only asked them to fast once a year. And so God asked them to look back to what he had said through the earlier prophets. And what had God said through the earlier prophets in Isaiah, the pre-exilic prophet? God had said, why have, you, how, why have we fasted? The people said, and you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And so the people's attitudes to fasting were not for God, but because they wanted God to see them, they wanted God to notice them, and they wanted something in return from God. And so in many ways, they were not doing it because of the love and the reverence and the worship of God, but because they wanted blessings and favor from God. And so in many ways, they were treating God like a genie. You know a genie? So a genie is like, you know, this magic lantern or lamp or something, and you rub it three times, you get your three wishes. And that's what they were treating God like. So they were treating God like a genie, right? So they did, you know, if we do fasting, we do more fasting, fourth, fifth, seventh, tenth month, then maybe God would favor us. And that was their overall attitude to their relationship with God. Is that what someone said in my Bible study? It was like a transactional relationship with God. So they do religious acts like fasting in exchange for favors. So I remember many years ago before I became a Christian, uh, I remember 
maybe this is a very common experience for me because I keep using it in my illustrations, but night before my exam, I didn't think I was going to do very well. So I prayed to God. I wasn't a Christian then. I prayed to God. I said, you know, God, if you help me get through these exams, I'll start going to church. Now, if you think about it, was I going to church because I knew God, I worshiped God, I reverenced God? No, it's for me, right? Because I would be going to church because I wanted something from God, which was a good exam result. And so I remember a pastor from my previous church sharing about how when he was young, before his exams, his uh, mother would always go to the temple very frequently before his exams and uh, you know, uh, give offerings and things like that. Because in response, then the gods of the temple would reward her by giving her child, her son, good exam results. And that's the same sort of relationship that God's people had with God. They were doing religion, right? That's the relationship that they had with God. Now, what does God think about this? Okay, so God says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice and show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts, do not think evil of each other, but they refuse to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and stopped up their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by His spirits, by spirit, sorry, through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. And so what we see here is uh, when God peels back the surface of their religion, what does he find inside? He finds that they have no real religion or relation, sorry, no real relationship with God himself. So I was listening to this Tim Keller sermon, and he said, religion is characterized by individual religious acts, right? Discrete, pious acts, external Christian activity. But ultimately, it's self-centered. It's not God-centered. And that's what we see here, right? Because they're doing religion, but there's no, no relationship. They refuse to pay attention to God. They turn their backs on God. They stop up their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint, and they would not listen to the law or to the words of God. So imagine, uh, here I am, and uh, I turn my back to you, right? I turn my back to the Zoom. I turn my back to you guys. I don't want to have a relationship with you. I've, I've turned my back to you, right? I've I, I, I cut myself off in a very real, physical way. Another way, I, I, I block up my ears as you're talking to me. I can't hear what you're saying, okay? Also, their hearts were like rock, okay? They refuse to listen to the law or to the words that God has spoken to them. Now, if I were to do that to my wife, right? Imagine, I don't know, I hope you all do, do, do that to your, to, your, to your spouses, you know, turn your backs, them what they're talking to you or stop up your ears. How would your spouse feel? They'll be very angry and that's exactly how God felt, right? Because the people didn't really want a relationship with God. They wanted to do religion with God. And as we see here, God was very angry with them. They were treating him like a genie. So when God says to these people, return to me, he's not asking them to do religion, but he's asking them for a relationship to 
worship him, to love him, to reverence him. But what the people were doing was they didn't want to have a relationship with God. They just wanted to do religious acts. Now remember, if we go to the children's church, we always say, oh, sorry, no, before we go to children's church. Okay. Now, if the people were serious about a relationship with God, then what they would do would be they would reflect the things that God wanted in their lives. They would reflect the character of God in their lives. And so we know that God loves truth. God loves truth. And so they then would love truth as well. They would administer true justice. They worshipped the God, revered a God who had compassion on the weak, the vulnerable. And so they themselves would also love the weak and the vulnerable and they would hate evil because God is holy. But that's not what it was like, isn't it? They, they did the religion, but they didn't reflect God's character in their lives and the community. So in the children's ministry, um, they always say that uh, in order to teach the, the kids, those are obviously all the parents on this side, we always focus on the, the head, knowledge, the heart, affections, and the hands, the action, right? And that's exactly what uh, someone who has a real relationship with God exhibits. A relationship with the mind, a relationship with the heart, a relationship with actions. But here we see that actually, for God's people, there was no head, there was no heart, and there was no action. So Don Carson, I remember, said that for many people, they treat God like a domesticated God. You know a domesticated God? Like it's like a, a, a pet dog. You know, they treat God like a pet dog. So you know, for, for, for treats, God does you a trick or a favor. And that's how the people were treating God. But C.S. Lewis says that God is not a domesticated pet, but he's like this mighty lion, right? Which represents the most powerful creature in the animal kingdom. And you cannot treat God by giving him treats and expecting favors, right? Because God wants a relationship, reverence, worship, and love. And so, Jesus says the same thing, right? Jesus says that as we come to him, he doesn't want us to do religion, but to have a relationship. And so we see here in Mark chapter 12, when uh, someone came to Jesus and asked him, what is the most important commandment? And it said, the most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment. There's no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied, you're right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, and with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And so we see here that, that what Jesus says is exactly what God is seeking from his people at this time. 
He doesn't want them to do religion. He wants them to, to love him. And through loving him, love their neighbor. Now, God then goes on in the book of Zechariah to say how he was very angry. Okay, in verse 12, the end of verse 12. So the Lord Almighty was very angry, it says. When I called, they did not listen. And so when they called, they called me. I would not listen, says the Lord Almighty. I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations where they were strangers. The land was left so desolate behind them that there were, no one could come or go. And this is how I made the pleasant land desolate. So what did all this doing religion achieve for God's people? What did all the fasting on the fourth, and the fifth, and the seventh, and the tenth month? Well, God says, look what happened in the past. Your forefathers, they did a lot of religion. And what happened to them? I was very angry and I sent them out to exile. I sent them out to exile. I scattered them like a whirlwind all the way back to Babylon. And so this whirlwind is a very powerful image of what happens in the end of the great danger of just doing religion without relationship. There's a great peril of just doing religion, thinking that, you know, you can do religion and therefore you're okay with God. So for my relatives who believe that just because they get the newsletter from church or they've been baptized or, you know, they go to church every Sunday, well, God says actually you're in grave, grave, grave danger. But the good news then comes in chapter 8. Okay, so chapter 7 is a warning, then chapter 8 is the good news as it's the promise of God in chapter 8. So what does chapter 8 say? Again, the word of the Lord came to me, Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. Now, this word here, jealous. What do you think of this word, jealous, when you read about it? Is jealous a good word? Or a bad word? Is jealous a positive word or a negative word? You know, we think it's a negative word, right? You know, this jealous guy. I don't know whether you heard the song, you know, jealous guy. It's like, you, you think of this stalker, right? But actually, jealous, jealousy is a good thing when there's a relationship that needs to be protected. And so, imagine, right? If, uh, if someone's trying to steal the love of my wife, I rightly should be jealous, right? If someone is trying to seduce me, my wife should be jealous of me, for, for me, right? It's a good thing that, that there is jealousy when there's a one flesh relationship. And so God here is jealous for his people. And so God is not asking them to begin a brand new relationship or a brand new friendship. There is a pre-existing relationship to which God is committed to. And that's why he is jealous for them. He wants that relationship to continue. He doesn't want... When he says to, uh, to the people, return to me, he doesn't want them to do religion, right? Like buying flowers, but you don't really mean it. He wants them to reestablish the deep relationship that they already had with him. But the wonderful thing is that even though God's people have given up in relationship with God, they're like adulterous uh, people, God is committed to his people, he is jealous. He's very jealous for his people. And so the passage then goes on. This is what the Lord says. 
I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. And then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. And the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, women, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with a cane in hand because of his age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. Now here we see uh, this wonderful image that God commits in promise to return and dwell eternally, permanently with his people. And when he comes to dwell with his people, the city will take on the characteristics of God. It will be the city of truth. Right? It will be the city of truth. It will be the holy mountain. Now, this promise of God is a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because if this is what God is going to permanently do, he's going to permanently come and dwell in relationship with his people, then, then I must want to be in relationship with God now, right? If I'm only interested in doing religion now, then why would I look forward to God having an eternal relationship with me in the future? That makes sense, right? If I'm only interested in doing religion now, why would I look forward to having a relationship with God in the future? But God says that he's going to come and dwell with his people in relationship permanently for eternity. And as he comes to his people, his characteristics will then be the characteristics of the city. The city of truth, the holy mountain. And in the same way, right, that means that today, I must love these things that God is. Because that is what the holy city will be like. It will be the city of truth. It will be a holy mountain. So these are the qualities that I must seek to love and to live in mind, heart, and action now. Now the passage then goes on also that when God comes, he will dwell permanently there. The city will have exhibit the characteristics of who he is. But it will be a dwelling place characterized by security, peace, and joy, right? So these images of men and women of, of ripe old age sitting in the streets, uh, the city streets filled with boys and girls playing there, these are images of safety, right? Safety, security, peace, and joy. Now, we know that this will eventually be fulfilled when Jesus comes the second time because Different images are used, but the same ideas are captured in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And actually, when you compare what we read there with what we read in Zechariah, they're almost similar ideas. God when Jesus comes again for the second time, will dwell with his people permanently. He will be living in a relationship with them in this new Jerusalem. The image now is of a husband and a wife. And this place will be a place of peace 
security, joy, and eternal life. Now, I wonder, when you think for a moment of the best holidays that you have had, okay, the best vacations that you have had, okay, so obviously, it's a, this may be a traumatic time to think about vacations and, and holidays, but I want you to think about the best holidays that you've had in your life. Now, I look back on my own holidays, and I always think that the best holidays that I have had always have two common Two common themes, right? Two common characteristics. It's always about a great place and great relationships. Okay? It's always, you know, you go to a really nice place and there's really good company. So I think of like my honeymoon where I went to the Great Barrier Reef or, you know, I, I went to Japan with my family or, you know, I drove up to Malaysia with my family and, and there's always good place, good relationships. And that's exactly what God gives us here in this promise, right? If we're only looking forward to heaven because it's a place of peace, security, and long life, then we've missed out on the real picture, right? Because it's not just about this place where there is peace and security and joy, but there is great relationship because God is there dwelling permanently in deep, deep relationship with us. And so, as we think about, you know, heaven, it's not just a great place, but it's a great relationship. And so, as we close up our time together, our relationship with God now, it's not about doing religion, because if we're just doing religion, then we live in great peril. Right? We, we, we're in danger that we will actually not be saved. We are in danger that we are not actually in Christ. We're not actually having this right relationship with God. But if we are in relationship with God, we have a relationship with God, and what is actually telling us that God promises us that what we have today will be fulfilled in eternity when Jesus comes again. When Jesus comes again, we will have an eternal relationship with God the Father. It will be a great place where all the qualities of God will be all in the, the world that we live in. And also, it will be a wonderful place of peace, joy, and security. So let's bow our heads as we go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we thank you so much for your word in Zechariah chapter 7, chapter 8. Help us to see that, dear Father, we need to examine whether we are just doing religion, we're just doing things, discrete spiritual acts in a transactional relationship with you, where we just expect uh, to treat you as a domesticated God who gives us things or whether we are truly have a relationship with you in Jesus Christ. Dear Father, we pray that we may be encouraged today by your great promise of how you will at the last day come to dwell with your people for eternity. And as you come into the world for eternity permanently, the qualities of your very being, holiness, truth, goodness, love, mercy for the weak, all those things will be realized. So, Father, as we are in relationship with you today, we pray that we would exhibit them in our lives as well as we continue to wait expectantly for Jesus to come again. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Andrew, for 
the word preached to us. Uh, we'll now have a time, uh, breakout session, uh, to have a discussion with your neighbors uh, on the topic for this morning. And it is, what have you learned about the relationship that God wants with us? So I'll give ourselves a few minutes uh, before I bring all of us back. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.